0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: in Sudden
2: things you don't really need to know but probably should i'm jamie east and this, this. is the sunday Sun. on today's episode there's a historic new treaty to protect the planet's seas the old piece of tech that's still in high demand and the reason why clowns send you running did you know it was on this day 1923 that the film, the first motion picture with a sound on film track, was demonstrated to amazed members of the press?
3: Seven.
2: If you've scrolled through TikTok over the past week, you've probably seen a video of a woman looking amazed as she stares at her face in the camera.
0: I just woke up. This is not what I look like right now. This filter
1: should be illegal.
2: She touches her lips, her eyelids and her cheeks and questions how her altered face could look so real. TikTok's going wild for the new bold glamour filter. The hashtag's already had hundreds of millions of views, but its popularity is also drawing concern.
4: I don't want to say this about myself, but I actually look ugly when I take this filter off. I've done a lot of work to unlearn that I owe prettiness to anyone. I don't think my brain knows how to deal with looking like this one minute. And then this... The next?
2: That was the voice of body confidence influencer Joanna Kenny trying out the filter. According to experts, it adds makeup, tweaks bone structure, smooths out the skin and enlarges lips using artificial intelligence. But unlike other similar beautifying filters, there are no glitches that give it away. And its seamless applications alarmed those concerned about the impact of digitally altered images on young people's mental health. A report in 2021 from the Commons Women and Equalities Committee found that exposure to media depicting unrealistic and narrowly defined appearance ideals was a driver of body image dissatisfaction we're going to see psychological consequences. This is psychology professor Renee Engel. She's spent more than 20 years studying the effects of media and photo editing on women and girls.
4: You could be forgiven for not even noticing that all of the faces you see are filtered all the time. It's one thing to compare yourself to like some famous beautiful person. It's another thing to compare yourself to an extra beautiful version of yourself that doesn't exist in the world anywhere. Whilst TikTok's
2: yet to comment on the new filter, the social media giant announced new restrictions on screen time for users under 18, limiting them to 60 minutes a day before requiring a passcode to continue using it. TikTok says it's all to promote parental involvement in their children's digital well-being. For now, it looks like the bold glamour filter's here to stay, but Joanna has a kind reminder for anyone who needs it.
4: Filtered skin is not a skin type. And we're already the Perfect
3: edit.
4: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The ship has reached the shore. For
2: the first time, United Nations members have agreed on a unified treaty to protect biodiversity in the high seas. This historic agreement represents a turning point for vast stretches of the planet where conservation has previously been hampered by a confusing patchwork of laws. The new treaty will protect the high seas, which are waters outside of national boundaries from things like pollution, overfishing and shipping traffic.
0: I mean, this is huge. This is um, really, I think, a, a keystone agreement Um if if we're going to try and protect 30% of the ocean.
2: This is Nicola Clark, an oceans expert at the Pew Charitable
0: Trusts. This agreement covers the high seas, areas beyond national jurisdiction. And the high seas make up two thirds of our ocean and they cover almost half of the surface of our planet. So they're vast. Um, And if we do have a goal of protecting 30% 30% of the ocean, the high seas need to be part of that solution. And before, we didn't really have a clear pathway of protecting these areas, these international waters, not in a, a sort of fully uh, protected marine protected area or marine reserve. But now that's what this new treaty does, is it gives us that, um, that opportunity, it gives us the, the legal framework that we can use to establish protected areas in the high seas.
2: One of the biggest issues was related to the sharing of marine genetic resources. In the end, high-income nations agreed to share some of the profits from any marine discoveries that could be used to develop things like
0: drugs or food. It's going to give us um, more tools to to help empower um, all countries, uh, in particular developing countries, to have the tools that they need to implement the, the agreement, to help um, you know monitor these protected areas that we're going to be setting up. Um, and to to conduct these environmental impact assessments. It's also going to help sort of go a long way towards creating a a slightly more equitable global ocean governance paradigm.
2: The treaty's language will need to be ratified by the UN and each country will need to legally adopt it before it can be put into action. And that needs to happen as soon as possible. This is Jess Panigais, head of clean transitions at Greenpeace, speaking with the BBC.
4: We are already seeing huge threats to our marine biodiversity. skyrocketing rates of animals being on the critically endangered list. That has flow-on effects um, right up and down the food chain. Our oceans are also critical for our resilience with a warming climate. And one of the things that these sanctuaries will do is provide um, some resilience, if you like, as the oceans warm. Um, And the work here is not If we have 30% of the high seas in marine sanctuaries, that's a wonderful start. It protects those threatened species from overfishing, from ship strikes. There is more work to be done. We also need to protect them from climate change. We need to protect them from offshore oil and gas drilling. But we now have a pathway towards those marine sanctuaries and that's just wonderful news.
2: Spills come on the Sunday 7, the fungus taking over a Tennessee town and the lowdown on clowns. A black fungus is taking over southern Tennessee. The cause is one of the state's most famous products, Jack Daniel's Whiskey. The fungus, appropriately named Whiskey Fungus, is a result of ageing whiskey. It forms a thick black layer that can grow on almost any surface and residents are fed up with it.
4: It absolutely takes over everything that's there in reference to... It takes um, the trees and just continues to corrode and corrode and corrode. That was Christy Long.
2: Christy and her husband Patrick live next door to a barrel house in Lincoln County, Tennessee, where Jack Daniel's whiskey is aged and stored. They say the black fungus is being fueled by ethanol vapors emanating from these barrel houses.
4: As they're going to build 20 of these barrel houses, and 20, that means 10 times more than are there next to us today, Essentially what that means is we're going to see a 10x increase in the amount of fungus that we already are experiencing and 10x in the amount of ethanol that we're extremely concerned with from a health perspective.
2: There are images of thick black mould covering their roof, cars, gates, signs, patio furniture and trees, but a spokesperson from the distillery says it can easily be scrubbed away and health experts haven't found any adverse effects to humans. Residents have been advocating for the distillery to install filters in their barrel houses, but Jack Daniels say that would affect the whiskey's taste.
4: I don't think we're going to shut down a $830 million corporation right just because we're asking for filtration systems to be added to the barrel houses. We're scared to death that if we don't stand our ground now and require filtration, that we're going to look like these pictures you see here today across the entire county.
5: Oh, well I'm Pennywise the Dancing Pennywise? Yes, meet Georgie. Georgie, meet Pennywise. <laughs> now we aren't strangers, are we? Clowns with
2: their big bright red noses, whose job it is to make people laugh, often end up having the opposite effect on some people. But why are clowns so terrifying? Well, scientists think they've got the answer, and it's not all down to the makeup. Scientists at the University of South Wales have quantified why people are afraid of clowns and the reason behind this common phobia might surprise you. After creating a psychometric survey titled The Fear of Clowns Questionnaire, the Welsh team circulated their questions to nearly a thousand people between the ages of 18 and 77 and found that more than half of the respondents were scared of clowns, at least to some degree. To dig into these results, we caught up with lead author Philip Tyson. Hey Phil, thanks for joining us. So, We know there are loads of people out there who don't like clowns, but what more can you
5: tell us about the reasons why? We looked at whether it was having a frightening experience as a young person, if that predicted the fear of clowns as an adult. We looked at whether the clown reminded people of death, infection or injury. So, for example, the prominent red colours could be reminding somebody of blood and danger and the, the white face paint could remind people of the pallor of, of of death. We also considered whether it was negative media portrayals, such as in Pennywise the Clown. We constructed a series of questions, and we asked the participants who had some degree of fear of clowns the questions relating to the different etiological themes, the different idea ideas of the causes and what we found people said that they felt uneasy because they couldn't tell what the clown's intent was because they couldn't read their facial expressions we also found um, a prominent theme of unpredictable behavior the fact that clowns may be doing a, a magic trick a sleight of hand Um, you don't know what they're going to do next to um, uh, as part of their performance and that made people feel uneasy. For such a common fear and phobia, why do you think clowns have bothered to stick around? Well, in all cultures and stretching back hundreds of years, there's always been a malevolent figure which is designed to children but also to entertain. So these figures have been around for many, many years and it's... It's unclear what their origins were, but they do seem to be prevalent in in all different different cultures. I, I guess a means of entertainment, perhaps a means of control of the population, or perhaps of naughty children. Perhaps those are some of the reasons. But but certainly that's something that we want to look at in our next research. What are the next steps for the research? Presumably, we're not heading towards some kind of clowny side. One of my colleagues is doing some research looking at what aspects of clown makeup scare people the most. So he's presenting participants with pictures of a face, and he's manipulating the type of makeup that's that's, um, that's on the face. So changing the color, maybe from red to blue, from, from white to green, um, looking at whether covering the whole face is more scary than just covering parts of the face whether covering the, 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 the lips with, with, with lots of red lipstick is, is, is an issue. So he's looking at what it is about the makeup that makes people scared. Still
2: to come on the Sunday 7, a revolutionary electricity-powered bandage and why the floppy disk has stood the test of time. Right after this.
0: Ready to pop the question?
2: You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the
5: usual places.
2: Researchers at Northwestern University have developed a first-of-its-kind electric bandage. The bandage also actively monitors the healing process and then dissolves electrodes and all into the body after it's no longer needed. Researchers hope the new device could provide a powerful tool for patients with
1: diabetes. Here's Dr Guillermo Amir. With patients that have diabetes, approximately 15% of them will develop what we call diabetic foot ulcers. These are devastating sores that start to form either at the heel of your foot or around your toe areas and unfortunately if those wounds don't close, typically within about a month or so, it puts you at a very high risk of infection and it becomes harder to treat. A lot of times these open wounds lead to amputation. In fact, diabetes is the number one cause of lower limb, non-traumatic amputation in the world. So it's a very big challenge.
2: Northwestern University researchers were curious to see if electronic stimulation therapy could help close these stubborn wounds. The small and stretchy bandage they developed is applied onto the wound to deliver direct electrotherapy.
1: We identified that stimulating the subject for 30 minutes a day, only 30 minutes a day, was enough to see a very big difference.
2: And in an animal study, the new bandage healed diabetic
1: ulcers 30% faster than in mice without the bandage on. So what we really we're doing here is we are allowing cells of the right type, skin cells, to migrate into the wound uh, a lot faster than they would typically. The benefit is that you have a form factor that allows you to wear you know, normal shoes and, and again no wires sticking out of anywhere and, and you don't really feel the device working. The team's goal is now to test for diabetic ulcers in humans.
2: In the forested Sun Valley an hour west of Sydney, conservation biologist Matt Stevens is creating new homes for wildlife using the hollow hog. It's a game-changing tool he invented to carve artificial hollows in trees, just as Australia's wildlife grapples with the loss of habitat created by logging and bushfires. According to the Wilderness Society, roughly 300 native wildlife species in Australia rely on hollows to nest and shelter. That includes 31% of native mammals and 15% of native birds. The hollow hog closely replicates nature, but does it a lot faster. Naturally, a hollow will take
6: the minimum of 70 to 120 years to start forming. And then, you know, the fact that we can rapidly install one of these hollows within less than an hour is, you know, a real game changer. And to think that then that hollow that we've created may last potentially two or three hundred years into the future and each year producing another generation of fauna. The
2: hollow hog carves into the wood of a tree creating an entrance hole. It's a high
6: speed spinning cutting head with tungsten carbide tips that spins at about 11,000 RPM, um, a long spindle or shaft, and then with the ability to suck all of the wood chip out and it gets exhausted, the exhaust comes out here.
2: Whilst nest boxes have been one solution, Stephen says there are limitations. And in general, nest boxes here in Australia will last
6: from seven to 10 years only, and that's it. Beyond that, they'll be on the forest floor, and then they're no use to fauna. Whereas a hollow, the way it will operate, is that we'll carve the hollow, and we may carve a chamber the same size as an S box, but over the years, that hollow will further develop, and so it will grow larger and larger. And as long as the living tissue of that tree can continue to wrap more layers around the outside, and outpace the rate of that hollow's development,
2: that tree will remain stable. So far, it's been used to create thousands of new animal homes all across Australia, and Stevens hopes it'll help slow the current pace of extinction of hollow-dependent wildlife.
6: Long after I'm gone, maybe 300 years into the future, that the hollow that we carved, for example, the hollow we carved today, will still be operating. It'll still be there, potentially, as a home for wildlife. And just thinking about that, I just think it's a, a really exciting thing.
2: floppy disks. Well, they're still a thing, sort of. For anyone born before 1995, the floppy disk is what the save symbol is based on. And before cloud storage or even USBs, they were the main way to transfer large amounts of information between computers. They can hold up to 1.4 megabits of memory, not even enough for a single song. But they're still a crucial part of many businesses. This is Tom Persky, president of FloppyDisk.com.
3: Floppy disks are very reliable very stable, very well understood way to get information in and out of a machine. Plus, they have the additional feature of not being very hackable.
2: Tom sells about a 1,000 disks a day from a stock of hundreds of thousands in a Californian warehouse. While they may seem obsolete for the average computer user, floppy disks are still used in many industrial machines.
3: I would say the biggest users are people in the embroidery business. Uh, There are a lot of people in the tool and die business who use floppy disks. Most people don't know that about A third to a half of all of the aircraft flying today were built 20 years ago. And if you built a plane 20 or 30 or even 40 years ago, you would use a floppy disk to get information in and out of some of the avionics of that airplane.
2: And that could be a problem. The last major manufacturer of floppy disks stopped making them in 2010. And at least one type of floppy disk, the ancient eight-inch one introduced by IBM in 1971, seems on the verge of extinction. Tom's now desperately trying to collect as many as he can. When a shipment of discs arrives to his Californian warehouse, they're wiped clean of information, reformatted, relabeled, and then shipped out to customers, either as bulk or sometimes as joke gifts for the individual. Even though he's been working with
3: them since the 60s, he knows they won't always be needed. I'll be here for as long as people continue to want to have these discs, but uh, it's not forever.
2: But for now at least, the original save icon is still worth saving. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.